right, here we go. We are now in week five of our series, When, and we are looking at how God has come, Christ came to us so that we could win in the battle of this broken world and all that, that is thrown at us. And many times when we look at Christ and his words or the Christian faith for that matter, uh, we don't think that God is about winning, but it's exactly the opposite. And we're learning to lean into these truths and these principles because some of them are kind of opposite of what we might say in our normal lives or what we, what we hear within our culture as well. And so that while it seems opposite, it is exactly um, what we need to hear so that we can win. And I've been encouraging you to think of something in your life, a struggle that you have that you want to invite God into so that you could win with that because that's exactly what Christ wants us to do. And so we're going to continue to lean into that together and walk through that. Um, but I want to first give you some images and pictures uh, that uh, uh, here in just a second um, of beauty that, that I've loved to, to, to see and I've actually sought out over the, the last several years. I've just been taking trips to get away from the city and into uh, just in, into the mountains and into beauty. And I've become fascinated with night sky photos and of stars. And, and so I've, I've been learning, my wife and I actually have been learning to take these pictures. And we did this, we started this journey, I guess, like three years ago. And we just have a stock camera um, just in its basic setup. And we've begun to take photos. So last summer we did this and we were in the, the back country in Maine. We were backpacking and we hiked about eight miles in with our kids. And, and we, there's no cell signal that still exists in our country. <laughs> and it was just completely off the grid, no Wi-Fi, anything. And so I went out um, and the second night there it was a beautiful, clear night. And we were, we were camping at this pond. And there are these mountains in the background. And so here's a photo. We'll show this. And, uh, and we'll have to bring the, yeah, there you go. Perfect. So here we go. Like we're at a planetarium. And uh, not really, but um, we should go to the Liberty Science Center for this. Anyway, um, so this is just my normal camera. And I remember I, I didn't know it, but I was looking straight at the Milky Way, which is if you see that orange streak through the middle, it looks like dirt or something. That's actually the galactic center of the Milky Way, which is kind of cool, the very center of it. And I didn't know it. And so I took this shot, and it takes about 20 seconds of exposure for this to happen. And then I look, and I looked down at my camera, and I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I didn't know that the Milky Way was up. I, I have an app to, to research that, but I've been busy. And, <laughs> and so you can kind of see the pond. So I've, I've done some editing in the software to help bring out the pond. But it's amazing how much the camera sees that I couldn't see with my own eyes. It takes a while to adjust as well. So that's, that's one photo. And then uh, we've been talking about that with, this with friends who um, are photographers. Our friends here in Jersey City, and they're professional photographers. And they're like, we, we want to learn how to do this. So I was like, great. And what's cool is... Um, uh, they have incredible cameras, and they had just upgraded their camera. So the camera that they had upgraded from was light years ahead of my camera. And so we, they have a place north of here that we went to for a night. And we picked a night where there would be no moon and dark sky. And so I did it with my camera. So you've got, you understand this. This is kind of a cool shot. You see the stars. And so we can go to the next photo. And... 
So you can kind of see the same thing. There's a little streak of Milky Way going straight up in the sky from a mountain. And then you've got all these beautiful stars. And this is my camera. Now, my camera is just like I said. It's several years old. The stock, it's a Canon and the lens that came with and so on. So, so they have like this incredible camera. And so she, she began to take pictures now, and then she edited it. She, and I, I need to get an updated one from her. But in this one, she went crazy with the Milky Way. <laughs> so it's a little enhanced with the colors, okay? Um, but here is her camera shot, same exact place. Now, the Milky Way is a little exaggerated with the colors that she was messing with. She was like, I was having a lot of fun um, with the editing software. And then the trees... Some random dudes pulled up in the lot next to them in between and turned them a giant floodlight. It was the weirdest thing. Um, so you can see trees. But look at how many stars are there. I, after seeing this, I'm like, I don't want to use my camera ever again. <laughs> um, it's amazing how many like how much more is there that we don't even see. So it's the amount of stars. And if you just up the exposure on the editing software, more and more and more stars appear. Isn't that incredible? And then we are teaching them how to do time lapses. I've done several. And so here's a time lapse of the Milky Way moving, which is pretty cool. Most of those streaks are planes, not shooting stars. Um, But some of them might be. It's pretty cool, huh? There you go. Uh, I love looking at the beauty of, of nature. And what we see is incredible complexity. You guys can go off of that. I know this is way more beautiful than me, but we can transition now <laughs> with the lights and everything. Yeah, great. So the <laughs> but the, the complexity of what we experience just from from. Everything is space that we are continuing to explore. Uh, It just gets more and more complex beyond what we ever thought. And then down to our brains and the neuroscience, all this. It's massive. Uh, And we love getting out into these environments, even just going to the beach or whatever it may be. Because there's a peace that we do feel uh, when we experience that, or you know, it, uh, one thing I love to do is just get out in the city and have no agenda and just sit there and just see it. Like there's a peace, and it, it's a weird thing to maybe say, but to not be busy but just sit there and see the massiveness of our people and, and movement, all those things. Um, and so there's another complexity that is. Massive and immense, just like some of these other things that, that we're viewing. And it's probably something that you've never considered in this specific light, but it's, it's God's story, his, his story all throughout generations. And, and so we, we've seen people who've been following God write about this. Moses is one of... Uh, there's a psalm that he wrote, Psalm 90, and he, he says that, you know, he's like, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. He just talks about how 
God, God seeks, he's like, he says, from generation to generation, you are God. And he's just kind of, he was at the end of his life and he wrote this and just thinking about how God is working. Like we work from day to day in our life now and God has been existing from generation to generation. And just the, the thought process behind that is, is, is staggering. And so if you believe in God, then that, that is going to be true. And there's a complexity and there's a detail about this. And that's important for us to realize. And maybe some of you are on that journey. And this, we hope that this is a safe place for you to come and ask your questions of God. And so if, it is, if God exists and this is real and that's true, then, then it's, it's something to consider and think about. And, and Moses goes on to say, he says, teach us to number our days because, so we can gain a heart of wisdom. Looking at how God's existence over generations before and after me gives me a heart of wisdom. And so right now we're in this conversation called when. And Jesus came to give his life for us and he didn't do this so we could settle in our own lives. He came for us to win in the battle against this broken world and everything that it's throwing at us. And so the same passion that led him to the cross and his death and his resurrection, he, he is now at the right hand of the Father, interceding, praying for us, and pursuing us with the, the same passion, the same love and intensity. He is fighting for us. And it's time to fight for and understand what he came to make possible. And so we see this in Scripture. And so a foundational Scripture for us in this series is, is coming from the Apostle Paul. He was writing this letter to the, the church in Ephesus. And they were undergoing an extreme uh, you know, persecution and pain and str- struggles, m- m- unlike what we experience in our lives today. They, they were giving up their lives, some of them, for the sake of Christ and losing family and loved ones. And he is speaking to them and he says through at the end of this letter, he says a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so Paul begins to speak into a reality that as Christ followers we believe. If you believe in God, we also believe that there is, we have an enemy, the devil, who, is, who, who turned his back against God. And God has allowed him to be in the world. And, and we have what's called sin in our world and brokenness that is working you know, against the natural order that God has created and the beauty that he longed for us to experience. And it's why Christ came to break the power that sin has in our lives. And there's an actual battle taking place. And God calls us to stand in this. And so Paul says, stand firm. But he doesn't just call us to that and say, hey, do this. He begins to walk us through how we engage this battle. Because this is how part of how God, in God's design and his will for us to experience him and to grow and to depend upon him and learn how, learn of who his beauty and all those things. So he begins to walk us through what we call the armor of God. So he says, he says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. 
Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. You can put this up on on the screens for us. And it's, it's a picture of winning, not just hold it, like not just be okay. No, God, Christ came to win the hill and he's called us to stand firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. And so we begin in this series to walk through these, uh, these, these tools that God has given us as armor and so week one is about how God has made us to do this together. You cannot do this alone. I have the images of, you know, actors in movies. And we have this constant image of just people standing firm and they just do it all and everything. But God's not made us that way. He's made you to be in community, to be part of family. And you can't do this by yourself. And then we've been learning then about to put on the belt of truth. The starting point with God is allowing him to be this truth in our lives. Not what I think should be right or real. But his truth speaks into my life. And when we begin to allow that truth to speak to us, it can be devastating because it convicts us of things that we've done wrong. But then last week we talked about the body armor of God's righteousness, that we get his righteousness instead of our own, and that we're learning to stand in his grace. It's so key when his truth impacts our lives, we get up every time. He's not standing behind us. You know, with saying, you know, why did you fall or why did you fail? He's standing saying, I I fought so that you could get up. And we learn to stand on his righteousness and it changes our lives. And that's, you can go back and listen to those messages. It's on our website and on our podcast. So the belt of truth gives us the strength. It's what we start with. And the, the righteousness of God protects us, protects our heart. We learn to pursue Christ. And then he says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fire arrows of the devil and put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. These are things that God has been giving us from the beginning that protects our heart and allows us to win. So we've looked at not being alone, the belt of truth and righteousness. And today we're going to talk about shoes, the shoes of peace. Now, this is interesting because as we get into the depths of this, this will be challenging for some of you because it begins to think about God in a, in a more in-depth way and why we sometimes struggle with him. And so it could be hard to talk about, but, but if it is, that you're, you're already probably thinking about it. We're going to talk about the shoes of peace, and it's a conversation of peace. Now, shoes. We like shoes, okay? Like, we, we love to pursue. Uh, all, like, some of you are sneakerheads. You know, I've had friends over the years. I don't know how you find it, but you find an apartment with a closet to fill all your sneakers. And you've got this whole, like, you're pursuing it. We've got a couple great, in fact, there used to be, I don't know if it's still there, a sneaker store like a couple blocks from here. And the guy, I think he's still in Georgia City, makes shoes for different uh, NBA athletes. And he did the custom deal. And then there's, there's stilettos and there's everything else in the whole world of shoes that I don't know how you walk on those. Um, but yeah, we love shoes. Shoes are important. Uh, and so Paul, when he was writing this, 
was in prison. He was put in prison for his faith, for his belief in Christ. And he's saying, talking about winning and standing firm. And he's beginning to talk about the armor, which they, everybody in their, their world would have been very familiar with because it was in the, this Greco-Roman world and Rome was in charge. And so the Roman soldiers everywhere... And he would have had them like guarding his cell and he would have just been looking at them and he would have looked at their shoes. And what's fascinating, and I have some pictures of actual Roman shoes. One is an illustration. And we'll leave this one up here for a second. But, but Roman soldiers, what they would do, and we know this, is they would take nails and they would, they would take spikes to get traction in their shoes. It was essentially the first cleats and they would, they would hammer spikes through their shoes. And so, you know, it's been written about, but people would hear the soldiers coming because they would just, you know, on the rocks and gravel uh, and the roads, it would just be this incredible sound of this, these spikes hitting the ground as they came. And so they loved to make a lot of noise coming in, but it gave them traction. And so there's, there's ancient artifacts that, they, that are, you know, they're found that are museums that people have had. And the next picture shows, you can see the holes where they, they have nailed these things through it from the top. They, I mean, they found sandals for people. I don't know if this is for Roman shoulders, soldiers, but you can uh, look at the next one. Like where they've just, these are sandals. They've put nails through them. Now that would be really hard to walk on. I don't know what that's for, but it's fascinating. They would, so he would have been observing these spikes that they had, you know, pushed through. And they would sometimes, you know, bend the spikes underneath to get certain levels, just like we do with cleats. In modern times. But it gave them traction. And so this is what Paul was seeing and and talking us to. So peace with God gives you traction. And so he says, I want for you to put on shoes, not just to cover your feet, but to help you stand firm. And this traction is found in the peace that comes from the good news. And this is a weird picture, so we can move on. <laughs> but traction is found from peace that comes from the good news. Now, good news, we, if, you've, if you've been around the Christian faith, you hear the word gospel. We talk about the four written accounts of Jesus' life as the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, the word gospel literally translated means good news. And the, and the word that was used, that was written in the Greek in the scriptures was the same word that would have been used in these Roman battles and victory. Whenever there would be a battle won in some country, they would send these heralds. These, these, these people would go to, to announce the good news ahead of time to say, we've won the victory. And that's literally the word is the good news of the victory that's been won. And so if you're reading a scripture, it'll say in some translations here, uh, talking about the gospel, the good news of the gospel, which is what Christ has done for us. And so the gospel of Jesus, when you hear that, you just think of the word good news. It's completely interchangeable. What Christ has done, there's peace that comes because of what Christ did for us. His death and his resurrection. Because of our sin, God gave us freedom to choose him or not. But to walk away from God was to walk away from life, was to walk away from love and to walk towards death. And that brought sin into the world and brokenness. This is so key to our faith and our understanding of how the world works and of our hearts. 
And we need peace. Now, peace is an interesting word because we talk about it a lot in our culture, but it's more of like the peace that we're trying to get. Like we go to the beach and I just want to feel good inside. But this is more of an external peace that, we're, that Paul is mentioning. It's, it's an animosity or a struggle or brokenness in between you and someone else on the, the outside of you. In our culture, you know, we, we're not at war right now necessarily like, like we see in Ukraine or other areas where they are, there's this external conflict at their doorstep. For us, we're just, you know, we don't have peace with our hearts. But there is, you know, this is more of an external peace that this is talking about. And the scriptures and what they were experiencing at the time was this external dialogue. And so the good news of peace is based on the reality that we have fought against God. And we don't usually understand this, that we we are at odds with God, every single one of us. Listen to these scriptures found in Romans 5. It says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now that we can, now, now we can rejoice in the wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. We start our journey as, as, as sinful and we have, we have put ourselves, we have, sin has put us at odds with God. He cannot exist as a just righteous God with us. Something has to be done. So we all begin distant from God. And this is why we struggle. At some point, it's something for you to consider if, you, you're, if you, you know, you're considering what it means to have faith or believe in God or not. But we're kind of mad at God. We're angry at Him because you feel this distance. In Colossians 1, 21 and 22, it says, it says, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And so we have come against God. And if you remember from two weeks ago, that we're learning to bring him into our lives, that we need that. And we learn we, to submit to him. Because we have gone our own way. We've decided I am my own truth and this is what you know, dictates me, what dictates what I want to do in my own life. And we like the idea of God, but only if it's, you know, it seems good for us at the time. And so we like his truth as long as it's pleasing to me. And so that begins to set us on this path where we're at odds with God because at some point, His truth goes against what we maybe want to do personally, what we think should be right. And so we have, we are at odds with him, but we don't submit to him. We ask, and so we don't submit to him. We ask him to submit to us, but that's not how it works because he is truth. And we've set ourselves against him. And so to follow Christ is to come face to face with this reality he didn't leave us there. And the good news is that he's made a way for peace. He came into our lives and says, I'm going to come to take away your guilt, your shame, your selfishness, your destruction from you and pay the penalty 
of death on the cross so that there can be peace between you and God. And it's an incredible thing. The scriptures tell us that Christ didn't come to condemn us, but he came in to take that condemnation for us instead. And so because of Christ, there can be peace. So I want to go back to these scriptures we just read. Romans 5, it says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we are, our friendship was restored. I mean, can you imagine someone coming against your family and you and trying to destroy your life and in the middle of that you came to save them? That's what Christ did. While we were still, he says, while our, our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son. He says, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. And then it's been made possible for you to have peace. This includes you. This going, we'll read Colossians now. This includes you who are once far away from God. We always say our mission here at DCC is to help people find their way back to God. He is, because of Christ, he's made a way for you to come to him. He says, you are his enemies, separated by him from your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in the physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And this is what's so beautiful. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. How in the world is this possible? It's because of Christ. The breastplate of righteousness, we stand on his goodness. It's the beautiful exchange. He stepped in the courtroom where we deserve death and took that penalty for us. And so court's been adjourned. So when God looks at us as Christ followers, when we submit to him, we are, we are declared righteous. You've, you've been, you have peace with God. But this statement, peace with God, brings about a struggle. And then we have an enemy that that Paul's writing about that wants nothing more than to pull you away from that reality. He wants to knock you off the hill and have you lose your traction and have me lose the traction that I have. And what gives you traction is living in and understanding the peace that God brings you. Last week we talked about how, how the devil tries to convince us that God doesn't want anything to do with us. So when we blow it, when you do things you regret, when you sin against someone else or God, you feel it. You feel that brokenness. And, and so when we go over the edge, our accuser steps in and says, how could you have done that? How could God ever love you again? He wants to pull us off the hill. And we're learning to say, no, I'm the righteousness of God. And we invite Christ into those moments because he no longer condemns us. 
We invite him to lead us out of the death and into life. But there's another way. He attacks from another direction. It's, it's not just about how God feels about you. It's also about how you feel about God. And, and, and the devil is very good at the, about this one. So good that we take it for granted. We really, really take it for granted. So he has to convince you to give up this winning position, to give up the position that Christ has fought for you to have. And so one of the most successful ways that he does this is, is to attack in the way in which we see God, specifically through our brokenness and through the pain and the hardship that we have in our world. So if you have something not go well in your life or you have a loss of something in your life, so you lose your job or you have a prayer that wasn't answered and this can go very deep or it can be very shallow. The interview callback didn't happen or if somebody didn't text you back. <laughs> but when things go wrong, who do you get mad at? Maybe you prayed a lot for a job or for a relationship. Who do we get mad at? Almost every one of us is with God. Guess what? I do this too. God, why did this, why did you allow this to happen? Why? I don't understand. We're just constantly mad at God, but none of it at our enemy. If we believe in God, if that's true, then we, then it means that we, if his words are true, that means we also have an enemy that's fighting against us. And then we also have our own sin and our own brokenness that we have engaged with in the world. And there's a responsibility for our actions as well. There's a responsibility that we have brought in this brokenness into our world today. But we rarely point those two things out. Why do so few of us get, not get mad at our enemy? Wait, I just said that wrong. Why do so few of us get mad at the enemy? And what actually causes it? The one who introduced it. And the decisions that we've decided to make. Why do, why do so few of us get mad about sin? We watch people in the church make decisions that hurt us. You know, a conversation that's been coming up constantly for me in the last, last month has been the actions of Hillsong. And there's a documentary. I haven't seen it yet. I'm asked every week if I've seen it. But, and rightfully so, we struggle with it. So, but we don't connect the dots that we're all sinful. And you see the brokenness and, and, and the, how awful destructive, how destructive sin can be. But we rarely actually get mad about sin. We're, we're mad at God. And at some point, without really thinking this through, you, you may eventually walk away from God. Why is it that we don't get mad at what actually causes it? Our actions, like we can see it in others and we realize that we need to be held in account. And we want 
justice. We want God to bring justice, but it's still on our own terms. Because to connect the dots to your actions brings accountability to you. And we want that separation. Now we should be angry at what we've seen and the sin and destruction because it does lead people away from God. And it's awful what we see. We, 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 it's important that we speak out about it. And at the church here, I have conversations with leaders that I engage with. We talk about the patterns. And this is a pattern that we're going to see it happen again. So what can we do to be accountable in our lives? And those are important conversations. But it starts with the fact that we, we realize the brokenness of sin. And allowing the truth of God to speak to our lives. These events pull us from God. And there's nothing more than our enemy wants than to push you off and help you lose traction. These events pull us away from God and we, we don't get mad at sin. And we lose our footing and we start to lose. The irony is, is that we then give in to sin. We begin to do those very same things. We we begin to embrace the thing that's actually leading to our destructions, which was the same small steps that we watch others take that are leading them to their destruction. But we don't. We get mad at God, say, how could you allow this to happen? But we don't look at how awful sin is. And we can see when we look at God, he burns in anger against sin. And thank God that he came to take that punishment for us and instead of what I deserved. But don't get me wrong. God is angry about sin in a way that we don't understand. But we give in to sin, the very same thing that leads to your destruction. And so Paul calls this out, especially to Christ's followers in Romans 2.1. And we don't have this up, but he says this. He says, you therefore have no excuse. You pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Wow. (laughs) All right. And in Romans 2, 1 is Paul calling out those who are so religious and condemn other people. But he's like, you do the same exact things. But even if we're not Christ followers, we do this ourselves. We want to follow Christ on our own terms. You don't want God's truth, which is God's truth is what brings us life, which is just. And it's the only way to bring peace. But you want to. Be able to have authority on your own life. Be careful. Be careful. Because you're losing your footing. I lose my footing. And to walk, we need to ask the question, if I walk away from God, what am I walking towards? To be mad at sin isn't easy because it also means that you hold yourself accountable because you do the same thing. Paul owns up to this in the scriptures and he writes this. He goes, what a wretched person I am. 
He's like, I'm the worst of sinners. And without us realizing that ourselves, that we are the worst, we cannot begin to see the beauty of Christ. But he says, what a wretched person I am. But thank God for the beauty of Christ that he came to take that away from me. Thank God. And that's why we love and celebrate him. And that's why you need him. The decision is yours. I just want to ask you this question. I have to finish up here. But do you think that God isn't angry? Do you think that God isn't angry that he doesn't know? That he hates sin? Like we, we, we get justice, but we don't, we don't, you need a God, a God of justice. It's not easy sometimes to, to hear, but the beauty is in the midst of our place of condemnation is the very moment that Christ came to take it away. And we say, God, why don't you just, why didn't you stop those church things, those abuses? But we forget the complexity of God. And I want to go quickly through this, but this is so important for us to understand today. There was someone who experienced some of the worst pain we've ever had, and that was Job. And God allowed Job to walk through significant trials. And he lost almost all of his family, everything that he had worked for. And not only that, he fell into incredible sickness to where he begged for death. And he questioned God. And Job was a fascinating read where his friends thought that he was sinful against God because why else would it be happening? And, and, and he just cried out for an answer. And, he, and basically he's crying out to God, why don't you do something? And God steps in and actually answers the question. Job 38, he says, Says, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. He says, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man. So much for coming in gently. And counseling and marriage counseling. My wife and I talked about soft starts. This is not one. <laughs> he, says, because, he says, because I have some questions for you. And you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determines its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? Who supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? Wow. He continues over and over. Who, he says, can you understand the depths of the sea? He goes through all the different things that he's created. And we see God's power. And he's calling Job to the complexity of the story. To how massive and complex it is. I have a friend who's an Old Testament scholar and he talks about the unbelievable detail of what we see in the story of God in the, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures of how, how specifically God works. And it's insanely hard to explain away. It's written for us. When they study the details, it's amazing. 
And scientifically, we should be embracing science as Christians. It's amazing because how complex it is, we can't explain it. And Job, he says to Job, he says, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? And Job says, I am nothing. When confronted with the incredible hugeness of God, he says, how could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I'm out. That's what he says. Our enemy has played upon our foolishness to drive a wedge between you and the one who's fighting for you. We don't see that God is fighting for you. He loves you and the hurts and the pains that you've experienced. He's the, he's the one that knows them to the greatest depths and he is coming after you and fighting for you, not against you. He loves you. And so our enemy comes in and does two things. One is he, is he encourages us in a fool's narrative. He's played upon our foolishness. That we don't see that the world is complex and it's connected. I can do this here and it shouldn't matter there. And Christians are the worst of this. They're like, oh, God's just going to come through and he's going to make it all better. And just not make me have to struggle through my own heart through this struggle. And help me grow towards God. No, he's just going to clean it all up. We have a fool's narrative, either with God or away from God, that what I do here isn't connected and won't impact here. That's what a fool is. So we make up phrases. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> no one's going to ever find out about it. Your decisions as you make impact your future. And then... He pulls us away from the complexity of God and says, it's just simple. God can do it. And he connects it to God's power, which is true. He applies that narrative to God's power. And that's the second thing he does. He says, God could just change this if he wanted. And that's actually true because we see that in scriptures. We've seen God do that. Jesus came and performed miracles. It was important because it proved that he was the son of God. And so we believe based on what we see in scripture that God is going to step into every moment. And change the circumstances. And we be, that's why we become mad at God. Because we've turned him into a genie God. And he takes, the, our enemy takes the correct theology and connects it to our fool's narrative. And it pulls us off the hill. We never take in consideration the implications that there's a cause and an effect God knows how the world was laid and how it works and what is best for us. And this is hard, I know. But I want you to consider the goodness of God and his love for you and his pursuit of you. Because our hearts are betrayed. Our sin calls us to something different. And we don't believe it's true. And that's natural. But we need to learn to trust him and to consider his goodness. To understand all that went into preparing everything up to the moment of his death and his resurrection. It was his plan from the beginning to send Christ because he knew we would walk away. And it's complex. It didn't happen overnight. Look to his beauty so that you can trust him. It's not that simple. If we understand that there's one who's fighting against us and calling us off the hill, 
we can also begin to find peace with God. Understanding the complexity, how he's been fighting for you. You can stand into a circumstance and say, God, I don't understand it. The pain I feel is difficult. And then I get mad at the enemy and the one, and the one who's fighting against me and I ask God to fight on my behalf. I surrender to his good will and purpose. I can let go and have peace. Will you trust him? If you want to find more about what it means to follow Christ and taking those steps, you can walk with me through follow today or just click, check it on your connection card. We'd love to follow up with you. But I want you to experience that peace in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your words to us and your goodness. I pray that we would trust you, trust your goodness when our hearts feel differently. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.